think about what can you do? What introductions can you make for people? Even if you're not getting something out of it personally, just being able to open those doors, I think is very powerful. And I'll never forget that. Welcome to Smart Energy Voices, an SED podcast featuring conversations with leaders of the energy transition hosted by Smart Energy Decisions founder, John Fiella. In each episode of Smart Energy Voices, John digs deep with industry movers and shakers to reveal insights you can learn from in their stories, personalities, and visions for the future. All right, let's dive in. Hi, everyone. I'm John Fiella, founder of Smart Energy Decisions, and welcome back to Smart Energy Voices. If you haven't had a chance to do so yet, please go and leave us a five-star review at your favorite podcast player. We'd really appreciate it. I'm super excited today to share an inspiring panel conversation from our recent Innovation Summit which was conducted in concert with our inaugural Smart Energy Decisions Women in Smart Energy Awards program. The panel is moderated by our own Director of Research and Content, Deborah Channel, which celebrates the careers of Courtney Nelson, Principal Program Manager of Renewable Energy at Microsoft, Monica Ferrer, Director of Energy and Sustainability at Equity Lifestyle Properties, Jordan Calverly, Manager of U.S. Sustainability at McDonald's, and Krishona Armwood, Branch Chief of Energy and Sustainability for the General Services Administration Region 4 Office. It's a fantastic panel that marked the start of a long overdue conversation recognizing women in smart energy. Please enjoy the conversation. I've been coming to these events for about four years now. Great people, great networking, great education. Where are the women? There haven't been enough of them. But we know they're out there because we do news coverage and white papers and we see the great work that they're doing, but we wanted to shine a bit more of a light. And it finally, in our December event, I think Lisa Carroll and Alexandra Fiella, and actually Mary Curtis, who's on our advisory board, we were really, we had a lot of conversations about this. And when we got back to, well, I call it the office. When we got back to our office, we decided to really make it happen for this event. So it was a little bit, it was a quick, did it pretty quickly, but we have a great roster of women who are our first class of WISE Awards, Women in Smart Energy. So we're, first of all, welcome Some of them have been here all week, and some of them are just coming today for the awards. So we welcome them all. We're thrilled to have them. And I'm just going to jump right in um, by having our panel introduce themselves. Well, thank you, Deborah, and happy Women's History Month, everyone. Jordan Calverly, I'm a U.S. Sustainability Manager with McDonald's. I work on our renewable energy and energy efficiency for restaurants, as well as our water resiliency strategy and uh, developing an EV charging strategy for the U.S. And Monica? Hi, everyone. Monica Freer, Senior Director of Energy and Sustainability with Equity Lifestyle Properties. Equity Lifestyle Properties is a publicly traded REIT. We operate over 400 communities in the U.S. and Canada, half of which are manufactured home communities, half are RV resorts and campgrounds. 
and a small portfolio of marinas. So I joined the organization about three and a half years ago in a brand new role to lead our energy and sustainability programs. Prior to me joining the organization, there was no centralized view of utilities or energy management or even anything about how we addressed environmental, social, or governance issues across our company. So since I've been there, we started energy efficiency, water conservation, and renewable energy programs. We also released our very first sustainability report in 2020, released our first greenhouse gas inventory last year. We're planning to set environmental targets this year, so need everyone's help, and looking forward to our discussion. And Krishana Armwood. Hello, everyone. I'm Krishana Armwood. I am the Chief of Energy and Sustainability for the General Services Administration Region 4 office. I cover eight states in the Southeast, including North Carolina, South Carolina, Georgia, Florida, Tennessee, Kentucky, (laughs) Alabama, and Mississippi. I often use my fingers to make sure I get them all right. (laughs) My office has the responsibility for establishing strategies, uh, budgets, and to implement programs around energy, water, and greenhouse gas reductions. I also need to increase waste diversion and renewable energy. Other programs that are under my particular branch include renewable energy, includes building automation, and the associated cybersecurity requirements for network infrastructures. Also have the performance contracting program for UESCs and ESPCs, the alphabet soup, right? The government (laughs) does the alphabet soup. I am a graduate of the University of Maryland with a degree in fire protection engineering. I have a master's of science in building construction and integrated facility management from Georgia Tech. I congratulate my fellow WISE winners, and I'm so thankful to be here today and appreciative of SED's insight to have this forum. Thank you. Thank you. I'm a little intimidated at the moment. (laughs) My job's going to sound real boring compared to that. (laughs) So I'm Courtney Nelson. I work for Microsoft. Microsoft set some really big sustainability targets in January of 2020, one of which was 100% new bundled renewable energy by 2025. At the time, the company had sort of piecemealed together about a gigawatt of uh, renewable energy procurement. I joined the team. By 2025, we're going to have, I don't know, 12, 15 gigawatts of renewable energy that we'll procure globally. So myself and three of my procurement colleagues are managing the global procurement of renewable energy from Australia and India to Sweden and everywhere in between that Microsoft has a data center and turning our efforts and our focus here to both scope three as well as 100-100-0, which is our goal to have 100% of our electricity, 100% of the hours have zero carbon for our data centers. So just a few things on our plate, but it's all energy in my world. (laughs) Okay. Well, thank you all. I should have said this at the beginning. You know, when we've been having a couple of calls, we've been prepping this and yeah, there, we're going to have a discussion on some of the, the problems and some of the biases, but I'm going to quote my new friend, Krishana. She said, you know, what we really want to be doing is sharing positive elements of being in this industry and representing women. Because when we talk about women being underrepresented, don't miss the opportunity to celebrate their presence and their strength and their accomplishments. So that's really what the focus is going to be. We're not going to make anybody too uncomfortable. 
just a little bit. So I want to talk my own experience at these events, and it's what I call the sustainability table. When I first started coming and uh, we had a lunch like we just had before, and there was a table of women. And I walked over and plopped myself down and said, how did you all get here? Where are the women in this industry? And they said, we come in through the sustainability door. Not so much energy, sustainability. And it's starting to change a little bit, but I wanted to ask our panel, and I'm going to start with Courtney, as I wrote, the male-dominated tech field, what her experience has been. Yeah, absolutely. I, I am not one that has come the sustainability path. I was actually reflecting. I'm coming up on almost exactly 22 years of the first time I came to Houston as a little baby Enron analyst. I didn't know anything. Like It's sort of funny how little I know and, what, and what's changed in those 22 years. So I come from a very traditional wholesale power trading background. I will say I was already someone who was maybe susceptible to swearing, and then I spent time on a couple trading floors, and so that was concrete early in my early in my career, much to my parents' chagrin. So I have always been in and around male-dominated industries, and I will say my father taught me two things growing up that I think were keys to my success. Is one is a firm handshake when you're looking someone in the eye. So if you have children, particularly daughters, teach them that. And secondly, as I love college football. And so I could talk football on Monday mornings and, and root for my local team. So those were sort of my paths to success. And it's a little bit of being one of the guys, but also bringing my own angle and perspective to that. And Kushana? I came into the industry through a technical path. It was not through a first-time educational way in. I was chief of engineering and supporting a lot of sustainability strategies and targets in our in our project environment. And through that, I had the opportunity to enter into the sustainability realm. And once I learned a lot about the drivers, right, that's where the passion comes from in this industry, not just the work, but the reason why we're doing the work and the extension, not only from our jobs, but to our personal areas. I have my family, understanding that they need to recycle. And, you know, I convinced my sister to put solar panels on her house. Now, she always calls me every month and tells me her power bill, what her power bill is, but I'm sure she put those panels on there because I convinced her about the (laughs) environmental impacts that it would have to do so. So I come into the industry through a technical path, and that comes and follows with it. Some limitations around the natural element of women's reduced involvement, right? When you're going through engineering school, and by the way, I'm the elder on the panel. I come Are with, you sure? with 30 years, 30 years of experience. I, I come into this panel with 30 years of, of experience, seven years in energy and sustainability. And with that amount of time, you get to see the evolution, especially through the educational path of how many women are in the classroom with you and ultimately how many of them end up in the office with you. So as that path grows, so will the inclusion and the presence of of women in the space. And and I look forward to that. I see the, the progress. And more importantly, I see those women entering these fields who are really, really smart. They're prepared. They're dynamic. They are excited. And it's wonderful to witness. Monica, I'm, I'm going to give a little spoiler alert. If we talk about your background a little, well, there's some cow manure in there. <laughs> yes. 
So I also came through the, the technical path, had an undergraduate degree in environmental science. Shout out to Liz. I found out yesterday we went through the same program <laughs> at the same time. Go Ramblers. So I, I was pursuing an environmental science degree and had no idea what I was going to do with it. I ended up landing a job working for the natural gas industry. And one of my research projects was to understand the impact of integrating alternative biogas in the natural gas distribution system. So fresh out of college, I got picked to be sent to these dairy farms in the middle of winter in Wisconsin to literally collect gas from cow manure. And that's when I was like, you know what? This is not how I envisioned my career to be. I really liked the idea of using a waste product and creating something valuable for it. But I like to say I traded in my steel toe boots for stilettos and pursued a job in corporate America. So that's kind of what led me to um, doing energy management prior to joining ELS. I was doing energy management at Walgreens. And at that time, it was also the beginning of developing our greenhouse gas inventory. So as we were starting to think about where our emissions were coming from, they were coming from our energy sources. And that's what kind of brought me into the sustainability world and then was able to really showcase those skill sets by joining ELS and, and creating the sustainability programs. So when I think about how I split my time between energy and sustainability, there is a little bit of, I started to observe based on some of these questions. And when I have my energy management hat on, it's like, oh, hey, boys, how's it going? And then when I turn to the sustainability world, you do see a lot of women coming up through sustainability. So what I'm hopeful for and what I'm starting to see is those worlds are no longer separate. We need to work together. You know, as I, I think about setting these really ambitious targets on emissions reduction, hey, we're also the, the people that are implementing the solutions. So how do we continue to bridge, bridge those two worlds? Thanks, Monica. And Jordan? So I did come in through sustainability. I studied science, technology, and international affairs in college and was really focused on global environment and energy issues. So I, I knew that this is what I wanted to do. I had the opportunity to intern at the EPA, and through that experience, as well as my coursework, got really excited about the opportunity for businesses to drive impact on climate change. So I started working out of college at Customer First Renewables, helping McDonald's and other clients develop and implement renewable energy strategies, and you know, was really motivated by the, the scale of the impact that I, I saw in that work, and then um, had the opportunity to join the McDonald's team in this role and take on more of a traditional corporate sustainability position. But I do think, you know, there is a lot of great female leadership in the sustainability space. I see it at McDonald's and, and at other companies, the others on the, the panel here. But a lot of companies in the energy industry still have women very underrepresented in leadership. And I think, as the others have mentioned, we see a lot of entry-level women coming into energy now because they are so passionate about sustainability and about climate change and, and starting to grow in leadership. So I think it's a really positive, encouraging trend there. I agree. Thank you. All right. I want to talk about the idea of mentorship. And the note I have is mentorship in all directions. It's mentoring, it's being mentored, and it's women and it's men. It's got to come from all angles, all sides. And Monica, I want to start with you because you, you've had mentors, both male and female. 
Yes, I was very fortunate to have both mentors that are women and men. Um, and traditionally speaking, I think it tended towards men because when I look up, that that's who's there and who, who can help kind of provide guidance on, on my career path. But I did want to share a, a story because mentorship comes from everywhere, right? It's not looking for someone within your organization that can help you navigate, you know, the, the internal organizational policies and politics, but they can come from peers or people outside of your organization. So this story is about failure. So I got rejected from a job at a Fortune 500 company, and the hiring manager was like, yeah, you know, we decided to go with an internal candidate, but you seem very promising. Let me help you. And I'm like, yeah, I'll never hear from this person again, this man again, right? He helped me open doors, introduced me to people in the industry, helped me get a job at another Fortune 500 company, and I'll never forget that. He didn't have to do that. There was nothing in, in it for him to gain from opening these doors or making these introductions. And so when I asked him, why why are you doing this? He was like, people, we need people like you in this industry. Just because we didn't have a place for you here at my organization, we we need people like you here. So think about what can you do? What introductions can you make for people? Even if you're not getting something out of it personally, just being able to open those doors, I think, is very powerful. And I'll never forget that. Right. Thank you. That's a great story. I like that one. And do we know the name of that person? We do. I didn't ask for permission. Oh, okay. But he's very funny from a very large company. <laughs> he might have been an advisory board person. Might have been. A, I can confirm that. Terrific. <laughs> terrific. And it's a great story. So I really like that one. Thanks. And Jordan, why don't we go to you? You've also had a good experience with mentors. I have, yes. And can confirm that this person is an excellent mentor from my experience as well. <laughs> Yes, I've also been very lucky to have excellent mentors, both male and female, in my career so far. And one thing I wanted to talk about that I think maybe goes a little bit beyond mentorship, but advocacy and the times where mentors of mine have been willing to use their their voices, their leadership positions, in some cases their their privilege to advocate for me and, and speak up on issues that I wasn't comfortable saying anything about or, you know, it was maybe a little politically sensitive within the organization, being willing to do that and stick their neck out for me, I think has been incredibly helpful in my career. So if you have opportunities to do that for for young people, for women that you're mentoring, I think that goes a long way. I want to follow Kashana around just with a voice recorder because she says such great things. What you were talking about in our call was the preparing yourself to be a mentor, how important that is. So if you can speak about that a little bit. Yes, and in regard to mentorship, a lot of times it is an informal type of relationship. But within our government agency, we begin to offer training, training to help you understand how to ensure you have meetings and you have scheduled times and you have goals that are set with the individual that you are having and trust you to go into this mentoring relationship with. It is important that you provide that person advice. You're able to address their concerns and their needs. And sometimes, you know, those conversations go well beyond just the professional realm. A lot of times you have to help them with work-life balance. 
And so it's important to be willing to serve as a mentor and in that service and in that consideration to ensure that you take time to gainfully gain the skill sets necessary so that you can can do a good job and so that you can address all of those issues that come up. I do want to piggyback off of uh, something that uh, Monica said. When you talk about mentoring, all of the information, incredible, I'm going to say feedback that you receive are not always going to come through the formality of, of mentorship. I encourage trusted advisors in your workspace so that when you come out of forums and you, when you leave meetings, you have someone that you can take constructive criticism from. Brace yourself and be ready to receive that type of of feedback. It's important, and it's an important element of your ability to grow and to improve. Hey, you were in a meeting with me. How did I do? How did I present myself? Did I provide relative topic areas of discussion? Were my questions appropriate? So, So in addition to mentoring, I encourage that informal type of, of feedback and relationship that you establish within your work environment. And Courtney, you're right on target with this because uh, you are talking about some formal internships, but also strategic, I'm jumping on you, but strategic friendships. I really like that. Yeah. So just to build, what's really interesting, I think, is that there are the formal and informal. And actually, one of my very first vice presidents runs his own company now. And he called me and he's like, hey, Courtney, I've got a really young woman. I think at the time she was like 23 or 24. She was very young. And I've heard that formal mentors can really help young women in their career. I think this is actually universal, but I think it's also there's studies have shown that it's particularly helpful for women, younger women. And so he he facilitated a relationship between me and this young woman. And she's called me from everything to, I don't know how to tell my boss that X, whatever the problem is, to, oh, we've got someone coming in and I'm going to be required to do all this work I have to do all this training and still do all my work. How do I navigate that? And so it's very practical. It's not some big formal conversation, but she just is really younger in her career and navigating what does it mean to be a professional, working professional? And so it's been actually kind of fun for me to be like, hmm, how would I solve that with, you know, with hindsight or if I had been there? And then sometimes she'll ask me questions and I'll go out to what I call my wolf pack. If you've read the Abby Wambach leadership book, she talks about her wolf pack. And so I have these women who I've grown up with in the industry. We're at different places. We have different roles, but we're all 15, 20 years into our career. And so we call each other, text each other, like, hey, I got this question. What do you guys think about this? Or what do you gals think about this? Gosh, that guy's thing. I cannot break that in my <laughs> in my language. On a women's panel, I'm saying, guys, <laughs> lordy. But I have found that this, my, my wolf pack of women has been, particularly in the last two years when we've all been isolated, that I have heavily relied on these women as we've navigated new normals. The other thing I will say that we talk about amongst ourselves is we talk about our salary. And we all know that there is income inequality between males and females professionally. And a big part of that is because, of course, we don't know what people are getting paid. And so if I'm out in the marketplace and I'm talking to recruiters or I'm going through an interview process, I can call my girlfriend and be like, all right, this is what their offer is. And she'll call BS or she'll be like, "Mm, I think you get 10 more out of them. Right. And so these are very, but these are really, really concrete. You know, when we talk about where women are disadvantaged, like talking about money, which we don't like to do in our culture, has been hugely important. And I have helped my 
my female friends get more money that the, I think that they deserve. And then I've also been able to advocate better for myself. So that's where my, my wolf pack, my, my friendships, these professional relationships have been really meaningful for my own career. So that leads us a little bit into the talk about, is there a glass ceiling? Is there a bias? So certainly you, you faced it. Yeah, there maybe is a reason why I'm focused on money, right? So, so it's funny. I, it's one of these things that I actually sort of forget about. But early, earlier in my career, I had a, a role where I was an exact peer to a male colleague. We were the same age. I knew we were getting the same performance reviews, the same performance ratings. And I knew that our boss valued both of us highly. Having some beers after work one day, and we, we got to be really good friends. And somehow his salary came up. And he, who I literally sat three feet away from, we did the same work, we got the same performance reviews, he was making more money than I was. And I was very, I was young in my career, I was still, you know, give or take 27. Of course, the question is, what did I do with that? Well, I did absolutely freaking nothing, because I didn't know what to do. I mean, what do do I do in that moment of like, well, I love my boss, and I I don't want to complain, because we don't want to be a complainer. So I want to be a good girl. And it's been rectified over time, which is maybe the reason why I'm, I really am a big advocate for salary negotiations when you're, when you're interviewing. But I'm not that old, right? Like this is something that happened within the last 10 to 15 years to have a very concrete example. Like this isn't, this isn't some other generation that I very recently, I would say within my career, had a, a known pay disparity. So when you're a manager... And when you're leading a team, right, so on the other side of your career, the responsibility is to be really thoughtful about what it means to have pay equity on your team. That would be sort of my example on that. So I I care a lot about that. That's an important issue. So now looking at younger women, one of the things that we were talking about is that they are better at self-advocating. Is that, and I'm not, you can give us your stories, but in terms of your friends and your colleagues, are you seeing that? Yeah, I would say, you know, similarly, I I have a good kind of network of women that are my age and kind of going through the same things that I can lean on and we share experiences. And, you know, I've had some similar conversations over drinks about what are people making and and is that right? And I've had to have tough conversations with my managers about that. So I, I guess maybe I am advocating for myself, but I think having that that network of peer support as well and maybe peer mentorship has been been really helpful in making me feel empowered to do that. And while I would never turn down the opportunity to have a drink, I think the when you said, you know, having a drink with someone, those, you know, it's the formal, but it's also the informal that I think is so important in the communication and sharing stories about pay equity or not, and sharing stories about work, you know, your workload, all of that. I think that's all really important. I'm glad we all talked about that. And Krishan, I want to go back to you on this one. We had a lot of conversations about what happens when you walk into the room. Yes, we are naturally and have a propensity to identify who you're working with based on context clues of of what you see in front of you. And through that, there are a number of assumptions that are are made. And that's, that's not wrong, but you have to be careful that the assumptions don't filter into stereotypical type of conclusions. And so when you walk in the room, and we talked about walking in the room and being the only female in that space, what does that mean? And how do people see you? And how are they 
concluding who they are interacting with, right? I've walked in rooms where people assumed that I was not technical, I was not capable, I was not supposed to be there. And they didn't say that to me directly, but I could tell how they treated me in that space, how I was kind of dismissed, how I would say something that would not be heard until someone else said a similar thing and then that caught on. Those type of things happen. So what I shared was that when we take appointments, we have to be ready. We have to be prepared and we need to walk into the space knowing we belong knowing that we are qualified, knowing that we have much to contribute. And those things will bring about the level of confidence that allow us to cut through those biases because that's the other side of the story. I walked in the room experiencing those things, but that's not how I walked out. (laughs) Okay? And uh, Monica, I want to give you a chance to chime in here. Yeah, so you asked, do you experience bias? And the short answer is yes, but I'm going to use my time to, to talk about the opposite of bias, which is finding an ally. Culture matters. I'm very fortunate to work for an organization where 58% of the management roles are filled by women. My CEO is a woman. So the, the culture matters, you know, when we talk about, you know, 58% and women, what, what did ELS do? And I asked people in the organization who've been there for 30 years, they were like, I don't know, hire the smartest people. And I'm like, yeah, that's great. Good to know. But, you know, there's some intention behind that, right? And so look, being part of a culture where I have allies, where I know people are supportive, that are, they're open to my ideas, they'll challenge me, they'll give me feedback, it opens up so many more opportunities. And so I recognize that, you know, not all cultures are like that, but find an ally. Being able to feel safe about sharing feedback or your experiences or just fundamentally feeling supported at work goes a really long way. Thank you. I agree. In this conversation, I'm going to go back to walking into that room because we were coming up with some calls to action. What do we want to leave this audience with? So, Krishana, I'm going to start with you. I want to reflect on some things that have happened this week. And when we think about call to action, we think about where where we are. What's our present condition, right? Because we need to make sure that we understand that we haven't been in a room. So our male partners in this space aren't used to having us in the room. We have to make sure we help them with being comfortable with us being there. So in a couple of our sessions today, for example, and they're working on it, and here's our proof. In a couple of sessions, they'll say, okay, you guys, oh, I mean, you guys and, and ladies. And it's this, this instantaneous thought of self-correction as they look out on the audience that they're, they're, they're speaking to. So those are indicators that we need to make sure that our male partners in this space are absolutely given the benefit of the doubt. They don't need to just help us be comfortable. We need to also help them understand how to be comfortable with us in the room as well. So that's what I'd like to, I'd like to share. The call to action is to make sure that we are cognizant of who our combined audience consists of. Make sure that you all help us 
as women in this space be accepted, included, and comfortable, and that I'm, I'm saying to my, my female partners that we need to also help, help them out, help the guys out, because we're entering into a space that they're not accustomed you know, to having us in, to give them the benefit of the doubt. They mean well. I expect that they will do things that will help us out long as they know and they're cognizant. I think raising that awareness is important, and I think it'll, it'll help and benefit and fix itself through that, that awareness process. Okay, thanks, Krishana. And Jordan? Yep. Um, I think, you know, kind of building on that, that point of walking into the room, I, I think we all have experienced, probably most of the women in the room have experienced walking into a room, a meeting, or, or joining a, a Zoom call where you're the only woman there, and how it can feel difficult to have your voice heard in, in those situations. So the call to action would be for everyone to be cognizant of that when you enter a meeting look around, see who's there. You know, if there is only one woman or one young person or one person of color, be aware of that, that dynamic and how they might be feeling in that situation. And then you know, be proactive about including them, creating space for them, making sure that they're heard and, and be an ally. Great advice. I like that. And uh, Monica? Yeah, I echo that. Be an ally. I wonder how many of us here on the stage or, or the folks that will be recognized this afternoon was will be recognized because a man was able to, to take time out of their day and say, you know what, this person should be, be recognized. So looking for those opportunities to create awareness, this stage is wonderful to create that representation that women in smart energy exists and we're doing really well. And so hopefully that paints the picture to rising stars that you know this career path is available to them. And to those folks, like looking for mentorship is an active, you need to be active about it. I was sharing a story with these ladies during preparation. I was on another panel, young rising stars in the Chicagoland area. And I told them, find a mentor, call me, reach out to me on LinkedIn. I'm more than happy to help. I shared the story about the person who helped me. I'm here. I want to help. I, I feel like now I need to return the favor and nobody, zero people reached out to me. So looking for mentorship takes action. You have to be active about doing that. You have to be active about seeking that feedback. And so that's my advice. That makes me think of something. It's hard. I think women in the, in the business world, I'm, I'm old. We were sort of conditioned, don't, don't ask for too much help. Don't you know, try to get there on your own because if you ask for help, it's weakness. It's not. So being able to do that is really important. And to Jordan's point, creating space for people to do that, I think is important as well. Courtney. I feel like what each of these women have shared is really just being intentional, right? And I think that that's so much of what, frankly, is lost in society today. And so when you, when you come in to your workspaces, your, your areas of influence, you may be a manager, you may be a colleague. I think really bringing that intention to your team, to your teammates, to your management is really where we're going to make strides. And this is, right, we're not only talking about women, right? There's a lot of different areas within corporate America, global corporate culture, where 
lots of people who have lots of different backgrounds don't feel like they can bring their authentic self to work. And why that matters is if you're not bringing your authentic self to work, right, then you're not going to perform and, and drive value for the company. So there is a business case to be made here. And so there are moments, right, where when I'm in meetings and maybe I'm getting a little frustrated, maybe I'm getting a little testy and I can guarantee that someone in the back of their mind is thinking, well, she's a real... <clears throat> and, right, they're not thinking that about my boss when he does the exact same thing. They're not thinking that. And so I think it's, it's, it's really being in, intentional when you show up in those spaces of like, how am I showing up today? How am I judging that person because of what it is they're saying? Is it, gosh, is it really just because she's a female and she's calling me out and I don't really want my BS to be called out today? Or is it because, or is it because gosh, she's real crabby today. All right. You know, so I think it's just that the, all of this dry is comes from a place of intention and thoughtfulness. And I think it takes energy to do that. And I think though the rewards and the results are strong trust and strong performance on any team. And so that would be my ask of everyone in the room, male or female, to, to show up in your spaces with a lot of intention to, to make for better teams, make for better progress on all of our collective goals. Thank you, Courtney. Thank you all. I'd really like to thank Deborah, Courtney, Monica, Jordan, and Krishona for providing a wonderful conversation and very heartfelt and thoughtful comments on this important topic. We're committed to continuing this conversation. I'd also like to thank you, our community of listeners, for tuning into the podcast and being a part of the Smart Energy Decisions community. If you've enjoyed the episode, subscribe to the podcast on iTunes and tell your colleagues and peers about it. To learn more about how you can become a part of the next Smart Energy Decisions event, just click on the link in the show notes for details. We're honored to have the opportunity to share conversations with leaders of the energy transition in this podcast, on our website, and at our events, all in the interest of helping you make smart energy decisions. Thanks for listening to Smart Energy Voices, an SED podcast. Digest the insights from today's episode and take action on the ideas that have inspired you. Join us every Friday for conversations with smart energy leaders. We also invite you to check out another SED podcast, Beyond the Meter. Each episode of Beyond the Meter features innovative energy projects and initiatives by large electric power users. To keep up to date with trends and happenings in the energy transition, visit smartenergydecisions.com to register for our daily newsletter and become part of the Smart Energy Decisions community.